Hey everyone, it's Tom Hoare. Welcome back to BNY Mellon Perspectives, our podcast series where we bring you the leaders and the conversations that are shaping our financial world and beyond. Today's episode is a conversation that I think is really important and timely and relevant as 2020 draws to a close. And it features a conversation between JoLynn Anderson, our amazing global head of human resources here at BNY Mellon, and Ariana Huffington. Now, you're going to hear a little bit about what Ariana is up to currently, where she's the founder and CEO of Thrive Global. You'll hear more about that in the podcast. But I'm sure many of you know her from her other pursuits and her other successes. She founded the Huffington Post. She's the best-selling author of 15 books. She's been named one of Time Magazine's most influential people and one of Forbes' most powerful women. She served on the board of Uber. She's an incredibly accomplished leader. But one of the things that's always struck me about Ariana is that she always seems to be ahead of the curve. She always seems to be ahead of the zeitgeist, so to speak, when it comes to the topics and trends that ultimately emerges front and center in our world. And I think that's very true right now. She founded Thrive Global to focus on well-being before well-being really was a front and center topic in the C-suite and the workplace. And I think that's why their company has had such success since she started it a number of years ago. And you're going to hear more about that today. I think in the context of what we're all living through right now, and I think we can all agree that 2020 has been an enormously challenging year on so many fronts. One of the topics that's really come to the fore is well-being. Everything from mental health to how we thrive in these, in these really challenging times, how we work together and collaborate virtually, how we try to unplug from our, from our work existence when we're living and working oftentimes in the same place. These are really challenging topics. And she was out talking about these things before they were front and center, long before the pandemic, really many years ago. And you're going to hear about that today. And it's a great conversation because this is a topic that our very own CEO, Todd Gibbons, and JoLynn Anderson have been spending a lot of time thinking about. And our executive team, our executive committee, is spending a lot of time thinking about how to help our employees through this really challenging time. And the conversation opens with this topic of resilience. Ariana picked resilience as her word of 2020, and I think it's a really good one because she, she shares a lot of tips, a lot of ideas, and a lot of the trends that she's seeing out there in this well-being space. How do you build resilience? How do you thrive in these challenging times? I think you're really going to enjoy this conversation between two amazing leaders, JoLynn Anderson, again, our global head of human resources, and Ariana Huffington. We were so fortunate to have Ariana join a recent town hall. Let's get right to it. As always, listen, rate, review, Apple Podcasts. Spotify, wherever you listen to your podcast. We're looking forward to continuing this in 2021 with some great episodes and a great lineup. And we thank you for continuing to join us on this journey. Ariana, welcome to BNY Mellon. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much, Jolene. I'm so excited to be talking with you. I'm a big admirer of the work you've done and the passion that you are bringing to these issues. Thank you for that. So listen, we're going to dive right in to this conversation, but let me even take a step back and ask, first of all, why is resilience your word for 2020? So I believe resilience is the word for 2020 and frankly, Jolene, for 2021, because it is a word that both acknowledges the trials and the pain and the difficulties of this time, but also it's a word that has hope in it the hope that comes from growing through adversity. 
And that's what resilience is for me. We are all going through uh, times of adversity, some much more than others, you know, times of incredible losses of loved ones, financial losses, job losses. Um, but it's also a time that is a catalyst for discovering resources who may not even known we had and uh, building this muscle of strength and wisdom. And as parents, Jolene, that's what we want for our children. We know we cannot protect them from bad things happening. So can we help them build that resilience so they can deal with whatever life brings us? I can so relate to your point and that idea that as parents, that is really what we're trying to cultivate with our children and in allowing individuals to develop the skill and competency to encounter and face whatever life may throw at them. Um, tell me a little bit more about Thrive Global and, and where some of these principles came into play as you founded that company. So Jolene, I had a hard wake up call. Um, I had bought into this collective delusion that so many millions of people around the world, I'm sure you included, and a lot of the Taipei people <laughs> listening to us now uh, have bought into, that in order to succeed, we just have to power through exhaustion, Taking care of ourselves is a luxury. Burnout is the price of success, etc. So two years into building the Huffington Post, I was the divorced mother of two daughters, and I was going to be super founder and super mom, and um, that meant no time for me. So I collapsed, literally, in 2007, hit my head on my desk, broke my cheekbone, and that was the beginning of my um, studying the subject and recognizing that burnout was not just my problem, it was a global epidemic. And in fact, Jolene, as you know, last year, the World Health Organization acknowledged burnout as an occupational hazard that leads to cynicism, ineffectiveness, lower productivity. So the connection has finally been made between well-being or burnout and business results, that there is no trade-off between them. They rise or fall in tandem. So I started covering all these issues on the Huffington Post. And by 2016, 50% of our traffic was coming from people interested in how to live and work, as opposed to people interested in politics, which is how we started. I realized that I didn't just want to raise awareness. I wanted to help people change behaviors. Because between 2007 and 2016, we had really raised awareness. Like when I launched the sleep section at the Huffington Post, our board complained on the grounds that sleep is not a serious topic. By 2016, when I left the Huffington Post to launch Thrive, you can hardly open the pages of the Harvard Business Review or the Wall Street Journal without reading articles about sleep and leadership, sleep and productivity, sleep and effectiveness. This is just one example. So I wanted to launch a company that would be about behavior change. Because I had so many people coming up to me and say, okay, I get it. 
I need to take better care of myself, but how do I do it? And um, so I left. It was a hard decision because the Huffington Post was like my third child and I never thought I would leave, but I followed my heart and, and uh, my passion to have that impact through a behavior change product. So after three and a half years of working with behavior change scientists and working with um, um, a lot of experts, we launched our product in March. And um, what I'm excited about Jolene is that it takes a whole human approach. Instead of being a point solution, you know, about meditation or sleep or, or steps, bringing everything together because everything is interconnected. That makes um, a lot of sense. And I love the way that you're, you use that personal moment of what crisis, frankly, and realization and wake-up call that you describe to really action and develop a product and solution that could help have an impact on a broader community. Um, and as we've talked about and you shared, you certainly were ahead of the trend in a lot of ways because this continues to be an unprecedented year for us. And business has changed forever. Again, to your point, topics like health and well-being are getting more attention than ever, certainly than they did many years ago when you had the good sense to sort of move to thrive and, and focus in studying these issues. But I'd love to see now that you're in this space, what trends are you seeing with other companies? Are we unique in sort of the challenges that we're facing with our teams and people? How is well-being being addressed? And why do CEOs think it's so important? Why is this such a critical topic? Uh, Jolene, that is an amazing moment for all the issues that you have been passionate about through your career. We are finding that <clears throat> heads of um, human resources don't have to do as much convincing. Um, that the C-suite recognizes um, the connection between the health, well-being, and mental resilience of their employees and uh, business outcomes. The data is so clear. So we are now hearing from CFOs and CEOs, not just from CHROs. In fact, I wrote a piece for the Harvard Business Review about how this is the moment of CHROs because finally these issues are front and center. And also we are seeing the recognition between um, digital transformations and the need for a human layer on top of them. So, you know, you can have the best digital tools for your employees, managing workflows, um, protocols for returning to the office, all that can be perfect. But if your employees are stressed out of their minds, they're not going to be productive. And there was an amazing study recently out of Yale that showed that stress literally shuts down our prefrontal cortex and moves us to our fight or flight uh, uh, response from which we cannot be as productive. So even if um, employers only care about productivity and not their people, which I know is not the case uh, with you and the bank, um, they now need to put these issues front and center. So it's really a once-in-a-generation opportunity, Jolene, to reinvent the way we work and live 
and deal with the problems that of burnout and the mental health crisis that, as you know, predated the pandemic. Exactly, exactly. And I'd love to maybe follow up on something that you talked about, which I think is so important. So I want to make sure our people don't miss it. And it was really about this human factor, the human connection. And particularly during the pandemic, we've seen this need for everyone to show support for one another. You know, we recently launched a working together pledge that speaks to this idea, the commitment that we need to make to one another and how we work, um, our ways in which we encourage leaders, managers and employees to support each other. Can you talk more about this, the power of the human connection and how this has also become a factor during the pandemic? Yes, not only has it become a factor, um, but it, the pandemic in a way has helped us recognize that to be really connected with our colleagues, our friends, our family, we need to first connect with ourselves. Uh, when we're disconnected from ourselves, it's much harder to connect with others. When we are running on empty, it's much harder to give. So that's why um, in our platform, um, we have these four journeys, and one of them is connection. And uh, connection uh, requires inspiration, motivation, and that's why it's not just about um, science-backed micro steps that we are big believers in because they help people adopt healthier behaviors step by step, but it's also about storytelling. So we, we see connection really uh, becoming much more effortless when people hear each other's stories. So on our platform, we love to hear your story, for example. We love to hear the stories of uh, people you are working with, um, every, anybody from the CEO to the latest intern. And suddenly, when we know more about the people we work with, we become naturally connected to them. So all these issues of inclusion, building a culture of belonging, they have to start with how connected are we with our own empathy, our own ability to love and to give. And also what we see is connection and giving are also incredible self-care tools. We need to kind of redefine self-care beyond like massages and, and, um, and pampering ourselves, although nothing wrong with that. I can't wait to have a massage again after, <laughs> after nine months. But, um, but it's so much bigger than that. And um, we find that when we are recharged, which is our first journey, um, recharge uh, on our platform, uh, we are more likely to be empathetic. Uh, you can probably see from yourself, when I'm exhausted and sleep deprived, I'm much more reactive, um, I, I, I get upset more easily. All the things that we don't want to do become harder. And the same, that's back to what I said earlier, Jolene, about how interconnected we are as humans. So we talked about connection, recharge. The other part of recharging is the 60-second breaks during the day. Uh, you know, again, we know from science that 
it takes 60 seconds to course correct from stress. Stress is unavoidable. There is no life that doesn't have stress, but cumulative stress is avoidable. So um, in our app, we have the 60-second resets, preloaded, you know, breathing, stretching, remembering what you're grateful for. But my favorite thing is to actually create your own reset. Like my reset has pictures of my daughters when they were young and unproblematic. Um, my favorite piece of music, my favorite quotes. And so anytime I may be feeling stressed, I can play it and it can remind me of what I love about my life. Uh, so it's almost as if gratitude is the antidote to stress and anxiety. I love that point. That's so powerful. And this idea that you can take 60 seconds to reset um, it seems so small, but can make such a difference in someone coming back to center and, and coming recovering from the stress, which you indicate is so inevitable. So I love that we've been talking a lot about this connection between personal and professional and how you might use some of the tools that you've actually developed at work to drive success in your home life as well and being very intentional to your point about delegating work and checking in and making sure that you're giving ownership appropriately to your partner and spouse where that might be available to help your support network. Um, at BNY Mellon, we're really focused on our culture. And in support of that, we've launched this new set of values. It includes passion for excellence, integrity, strength and diversity, and courage to lead. And we really see these values as a guiding force in our decision-making and how we work together. I know in your work, you were equally guiding leaders and companies during the pandemic. And you've counseled, in fact, that we need to count successes more than we count on our failures. This is something that we've also spoken about as part of our new values and our culture. The idea that failure is important and you should learn and recover from the mistakes that you make in addition to celebrating those wins. Tell me more about why this is so important, how you've counseled leaders during the pandemic, and this concept of failure and where it comes to play. So we have found, Jolene, uh, with leaders in um, every company we worked with, uh, the same idea that somehow they have to do everything perfectly, which is very different than doing everything excellently. And uh, that... Um, desire for perfection or that belief that that's the only way they can be good leaders actually makes it much harder to have the courage to lead uh, because you become risk averse. And especially during a time like this, when maintenance is not enough, like we, we can't just be the kind of leader who maintains the status quo. Leaders have to be innovative, creative. They have to be able to uh, look around corners, uh, see the icebergs before they hit the Titanic. And all that requires um, tapping into their own resilience and their own wisdom, which requires taking care of themselves. Um, I, I remember having a... Um, um, a leadership webinar with um, 35 people who, who run Accenture across the world. And I can speak to that because Ellen Shook, their CHRO, has written about it. 
And Ellen said, well, Ariana, you know, I don't have time to go for my daily walk anymore. You know, so much is on my shoulders across many time zones. And I said, actually, Ellen, you can't afford not to go on your daily walk. It's really an investment in your leadership, not a luxury. And it's been amazing. She texted me the other day that she's in day 173 of consecutive uh, daily walks. And how that simple fact has actually made her um, a better leader. So each leader needs to find what is it for them um, that can help nurture themselves so that they can lead from that place instead of um, leading from running on empty. And that's why, as you know, Jolene, at Thrive, we break it down into micro steps. Uh, it's not something overwhelming. It's really looking at your day and seeing where are the places and the times when you can introduce what makes you more effective as a leader, which has to do with your ability to recharge and replenish yourself. I think that's so powerful, and I'm going to take it myself for committing to that daily that daily moment because it is the thing to your point particularly as leaders particularly as caregivers often gets sacrificed. Yeah. It's so important to that performance culture. And on that point, I'd love if you could discuss that link between resilience and performance, which we see as the in our view are are the foundation for our value around passion for excellence. Why are those two things so connected? Why is it so important? Well, I love to um, look at uh, athletes as examples uh, because with athletes, we have very objective data. We know their scores. And so we have studied at Thrive the connection between the steps they take uh, to sleep, to eat right, uh, to recover from training, and the scores. In fact, we have... Um, Quite a few athletes like Kevin Durant and Andre Iguidala who are investors in Thrive because they believe in using um, athletes as role models for corporate athletes. And um, the connection is so clear and we have so much data about it. We have so many scientific findings, Jolene, that I've wondered why do we still believe something patently false? Because there are still millions of people who see a, a trade-off between taking care of themselves and peak performance. So I actually, being a bit of a nerd, I, I studied that. And it goes back to the first industrial revolution, when we started revering machines and then revering software. And the goal both with machines and with software is to minimize downtime. Like you put out a new software product and, and uh, you brag, you know, this um, has 99.999% uptime. But for, for the human operating system, downtime is not a bug, it's a feature. And we need to remember that. And we need to change our mindset around downtime. 
And um, it's hard. You know, you wonder, how do we believe something false as a culture for so long? And then I went back to the 1960s, and there were ads on television of doctors in white coats advertising cigarettes. Can you believe that? 1960s. And uh, my favorite was a doctor saying, I smoke mentals because they refresh my throat. So cultures often believe false things. And now we're at this moment, accelerated by the pandemic, when we can jettison that belief once and for all, leave it behind so that when we um, go to our new world post-pandemic, we don't bring that false um, belief, that cultural delusion with us. If you indulge me for a moment, I'm going to give you maybe a series of just a couple questions and you tell me the first couple of things that come to your mind. Are you up for it? Absolutely. Ready to go. Fantastic. Well, perfect timing here. What's your favorite fall holiday food to eat? Oh, <laughs> my favorite holiday food is um, what my mother used to make every holiday, which is called Melo Macarona. It's a Greek sweet um, that's really made of tons of honey, Greek olive oil, walnuts, and some kind of flour. But the important ingredients are the honey and the walnuts, and you can look it up. Highly recommended. The whole house smells of honey. Mm, delicious. And I'm sure that you, you had me at honey, so that, that, that was enough <laughs> for me. Uh, what's your favorite podcast? Um, my favorite podcast, actually, is a podcast we launched called Meditative Story. We launched it in partnership with Salesforce, and um, it helps you go to sleep if you don't want to meditate by hearing someone's story. So, for example, my story um, in the podcast I did for Meditative Story was how my mother helped me get into Cambridge. And it brings you in. You know, there is this 13-year-old me in Athens, Greece. I speak no English. We have no money. We live in a one-bedroom apartment. And I see this picture of Cambridge, and I tell my mother I want to go there. And what happens next? You have to listen to Meditative Story to find out. Fantastic. Well, you've given me something to do certainly over the next few weeks because I definitely want to hear the end of that story. <laughs> so tell me the favorite thing you've read during the pandemic. What's a great book? So the favorite thing I read is actually a, a book I listened to rather than read. I'm being um, a proud mama right now, um, Jolene, but why not, right? Um, <laughs> My youngest daughter released her first book uh, two weeks ago called Map to the Unknown, which is the story of what happened in the last three years when she was hit by a bike in the streets of New York and has been suffering from debilitating headaches and how she used that time of a lot of chronic pain to build her own spiritual resilience. So it's actually a story of resilience. And, um, and she's also really funny because humor 
is one of the ways we build resilience. When things happen and we can um, see the humor in them, uh, kind of transcend the pain, it's really powerful. I love that. And congratulations to you as an, as indeed a proud mama and for sharing her story with, with all of us. Okay. Just two more. What are you binge watching during the pandemic? What shows will you admit to watching? Okay. So I came up with what I think is a fantastic idea for binge watching, uh, which is I've binge watched billions. I've binge watched succession um, I've binge-watched um, Big Little Lies, I've binge-watched Undoing, but I only allow myself to binge-watch on my treadmill. Ah. I don't allow myself to binge-watch anywhere else, on the couch, in bed. So if I'm in the middle of a series and I can't wait to get to the next thing, I end up doing sometimes like three hours on my treadmill. Good for you. That's something that I thrive. We call habit stacking. Putting a healthy habit on top of something you want to do. Excellent. That's really great advice. Really good advice. And of course, the very last one, who is one of the first people who you haven't had a chance to hug that post the pandemic, you're looking forward to giving them a big, big hug. So I'm very lucky to have um, an enormous amount of people at Thrive uh, who are like family and whom I haven't seen, let alone hugged. Uh, one of them, Danny Sher, is someone who joined uh, the Huffington Post as an intern from Princeton, stayed with me at the Huffington Post for 11 years, left with me to launch Thrive and is now a chief brand officer. And I can't wait to hug Danny. That's amazing. Thank you for sharing that. You know, people have really connected to this idea of finding purpose. And I'd love your advice and thoughts about how we can inspire ourselves and our teams to find purpose in our roles during times of crisis. So... Uh, Jolene, I find that purpose has a lot to do with the impact that we can have on others. And that doesn't mean millions. It can be one person. Can we have an impact on one person's life? Can we make one person's life better? Can we have one person breathe easier? That, to me, brings a lot of purpose into whatever we are doing. And it can be in, in any profession. Um, th this book I wrote called Thrive is really about what I call the third metric of success because so much of our culture is defining success just in terms of money and status. And it's very hard to find purpose if your whole definition of success is just money and status slash power. If you include that third metric of success, which is about giving and wisdom and wonder and well-being, then you have a whole life. And you don't measure your life just in terms of these two metrics. Nothing wrong with them as part of the whole. But if they become everything, 
I think we, we end up leading a very diminished life. And I'm excited that in colleges around the country, people are redefining purpose in terms of the good life rather than just the quote-unquote successful life. It's so interesting that you talked about you know, taking it small and thinking about that individual impact and the day-to-day things that you can do to help really impact people. I think it's great advice um, and good things for our teams to think about. You know, people are, of course, also curious to know you are so successful being named to Time Magazine's list of world's most 100 influential people. And, and again, as we mentioned, Forbes' most powerful women. But who influenced your life? Who is your mentor? Oh, Jolene, a thousand percent my mother. And when you listen to meditative story, you are going to fall in love with her. She would have loved you. Um, I'm sorry she's no longer around to meet you. But, um, you know, she never went to college. She was just naturally wise. And one of the things she taught me uh, was, as she used to say, failure is not the opposite of success. Failure is a stepping stone to success. So she helped me take risks because she had made me not be afraid of failure. And it's what you say in one of your values, you know, the courage to lead means the courage to fail. And I want to write a book about my failures. I actually feel that People who succeed have to speak more about their failures along the way because they're kind of buried once you succeed. And um, I speak a lot about, you know, my second book being rejected by 36 publishers. You know, it takes a lot of resilience to keep going. The Huffington Post first day reviews, I have learned one of them by heart. It went as follows. The Huffington Post is an unsurvivable failure. It is the movie equivalent of Gili and Heaven's Gate rolled into one. For those who are not movie buffs, these are both big flops. So, you know, often you just need to keep going despite the naysayers if you believe in something. Yeah, that's really, really good advice. And you're, you're right. We sometimes don't celebrate those failures as we talked about being so important. You know, this one's for the parents out there who, as you already talked about, we know they're struggling. They're juggling careers, small children, other responsibilities. How do you think, how do they fight burnout when it feels like they really do have three full-time jobs? I really think that two... Um, two things I would highly recommend. The first is a mindset shift. You know, it's so easy to say, I have a crazy job. I have a crazy life. My kids are going crazy. Or uh, we can um, literally change our perspective and say, I'm so blessed to have a demanding job I love, to have children that I adore, (laughs) however crazy they may be, and to focus, you know, from the struggle to the blessing. It's not easy, but even just having the intention of reframing how we see our lives is key. And what helps us make that possible is these micro steps of taking care of ourselves. Like even 
let me give you two of my favorite micro steps who have a thrive, you know, we have hundreds, but my two favorite ones are how do I start my day and how do I end my day? 72% of people, Jolene, start the day by going to their phone before they're even fully awake. And often you don't know what waits you on your phone. It could be a, a nasty email or text or some bad coronavirus news. So my favorite micro step is take 60 seconds before you go to your phone. Uh, to breathe consciously, or to remember what you're grateful for, or to set your intention for the day. And it makes such a difference, and it's 60 seconds. You know, you can iterate and make it five minutes, but start small. And the end of the day, it's so important to declare an end to the day. The truth is that I bet nobody listening certainly not you, Jolene, has a real end to the day. I mean, I think I was reading somewhere, you said that your work is never done. That's true for millions of people. But we have to declare it done for the day. Otherwise, you know, we can't really disconnect from our problems and our projects and be able to truly surrender to sleep and really recharge. So um, my favorite micro step that I practice is I declare an end to my working day. It's not at the same time, but at some point I say, this is it. I'm not done. There are a lot of incompletions. <laughs> See you tomorrow. And, um, and be comfortable with incompletions. And because human beings love ritual, I declare the end of my working day by turning off my phone and charging it outside my bedroom. And actually, the only product that Thrive has produced, physical product, is a little charging station in the form of a phone bed with a little blanket. You can put your phones under the blanket, tuck them in, and reconnect in the morning. It's great also for your children to learn not to sleep with their phones. But the point is creating a little transition to sleep with your own ritual. I have real books by my bed that have nothing to do with work, you know, poetry, fiction, history, spirituality. And so I just put my day in perspective. I think that you've given us so much great advice and these tips along the ways have been so powerful. I think we have time for one more question, which sort of gets to some of the things that you've been talking about, which is back to that giving permission. And what is your perspective on encouraging team members and colleagues that it's okay to prioritize wellness without fear of retribution? So I find cultural permission is key. And as soon as uh, leaders um, start their own micro-step journey on the platform, we encourage them to write about what they are doing. And then we post them on the app. So then somebody who reports to them will read what they are doing 
and will get cultural permission to also take care of themselves. Cultural permission, Jolene, as you know, is key because the culture shift we're engaged in is not just within the company, it's also within the broader collective. And um, there is nothing more important than recognizing, especially at a time when people are afraid for their jobs, a lot of people have been let go or furloughed around the world. Um, it's more important than ever to know that when they take care of themselves, they're actually going to be better at their jobs. And to reinforce that by seeing the leaders in their company do that and speak about it and acknowledge when they're dealing with a problem, being more raw and vulnerable than maybe they would have been comfortable being at another time. Thank you so much, Ariana. Um, you've just given us so much to consider and think through as we continue to encourage our, our teams and our people to build a culture of wellness and well-being. We want to continue to spend time on this conversation and build resiliency and a prioritization around wellness and well-being. And it's so inspiring to hear from leaders like yourself who have been helping companies on this journey and think about the many tips that you've given us today. Um, I think that my next binge watch, I'm committed to doing on a <laughs> treadmill uh, and, and, th and thinking about my daily micro steps. And I look forward to tucking my phone into sleep as a signal <laughs> that I'm ending my work day. Um, it's just such small examples of the ways in which we can really build a practice and habits around this. We are looking forward to exploring ways that we can continue to work with you and thrive. Thank you so much again. And it's so important to bring in outside voices like yourself. We really appreciate it. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you so much, Jolene. Thank you for your leadership. Happy holidays and thanks for everything. Hey everyone, Tom here again. Thanks again for joining. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. As I said at the top, uh, keep listening on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Most importantly, if you're willing, leave a review or a rating and tell us your feedback. You can find us on social media, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and bnymellon.com. Thanks again for joining. We'll see you on the next episode.